Welcome to the Bridge Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message from our senior pastor, Neil Haney. To access other resources or to find out more information about our church, visit thebridgespringfield.com or find us on social media at The Bridge Springfield. I want to start by uh, asking all the teachers, um, whether it's uh, grade school, uh, high school, college, whatever, if you're a teacher here, would you please stand? And uh, we're going to pray for you. Also, if you're a student and you just started back to school, we want you to stand as well. We're going to pray for you this morning. Uh, We should have done this last Sunday, but we needed to pray for the Northwestern situation I went to the funeral, uh, Aiden Clark's funeral on Monday, and that was, a, that was an unbelievable experience. I, I just couldn't believe the outpouring of love from this community on one family. It was amazing. But if you're uh, within reach of, of whomever here that's standing around you, uh, arms back, <laughs> uh, just go ahead and put your hand on them, and we're just going to pray uh, for, for these precious people. Lord, I thank you for all the teachers that are among us, Lord. My wife has taught school for many years, and uh, starting a new year is always challenging. It's always a little scary. Uh, it's, it's exciting, but Lord, uh, uh, we just acknowledge the fact that as Christians, we need you, Lord Jesus. We need you, Holy Spirit, to just minister to our students through, through us. And so, Lord, I pray for each teacher for your anointing upon them the Holy Spirit, to move through them, to give them divine, supernatural wisdom, Lord God, as to how to deal with the situations that come up. I was with a, uh, my family was with a teacher uh, this week who uh, was dealing with a student that had issues, and um, she just had such wisdom from you, Lord, as to how to deal with uh, the situation that she had. And I was just awestruck by the wisdom that you had given her. And so, Lord, just pray for that supernatural wisdom, supernatural love for uh, these, these kids that are sometimes hard to love. And, uh, Lord, may your love flow through each teacher. May your wisdom flow through each teacher. And may you cause them to be able to influence the lives of those who they teach. Lord, I pray for the students now. I pray for each one to be receptive, to be cooperative, to be um, loving and loved. Uh, by their teachers, I, I pray um, uh, that, that you'll give each student here a great year. And uh, Lord, teach them the lessons of life that they need to learn, as well as educating them for the disciplines that they need to have to move on in life. And I pray these things in the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, guys. You know, I... Um, I really have come to appreciate Dennis's, you know, welcome uh, and his, uh, you know, good morning church. And I too want to say good morning church, but I, I can't say it that way because Dennis says that. And I don't want to use his tagline. So, you know, I'm, I'm working on my own tagline to welcome you and and. You know, I've only been here 35 years, so please be patient with me as I, as I work on this. I am known for my dad jokes, however, and um, so, um, you know, not to disappoint, 
Have you heard that the tongue twister world champion got arrested? You hear that? Yeah. Yeah, I heard they're going to give him a really tough sentence. Now, oh, someone's clapping. I I don't need that. I don't need clapping, okay? I don't need applause. If you can't laugh, just don't do anything. Okay, so I I never, there's something, I'm just going to say this. There's something that I never have done before, and I will never do it again, I promise you. And I hate it when speakers do this. I hate this. But if you didn't get that joke, turn to the person beside you and say, what? Okay, I never use that turn to the person beside you. I hate that. Introverts, by the way, you extroverted speakers, introverts hate that. All they're thinking about is, do I have broccoli in my teeth? That's all they're thinking about. They're not getting what you're saying. It's not helping them at all. Okay. (laughs) Good morning, church. Um, See, I, I did the different inflection, so and I wasn't loud. So anyway. We are in the middle of a series called Living in His Body, and um, we're talking about the body of Christ, and we're talking about living in the body of Christ, living in in Christ's body in a local church setting, because that's the only way you can do this. We are individual people, and we can only be at one place at one time, and so um, there's really good biblical precedents for living out life in the body of Christ in a local church setting. Uh, if, you, if you look, most of Paul's letters are written, if he, he's not writing to like Timothy or Titus or Philemon or someone like that, he's writing to the church in Galatia or the church in Philippi or the church in Ephesus or the, the church in Thessalonica. He's always, he seems to be writing to local churches that have lots of people. And so uh, he's you know, he's, he's writing to, to the body of Christ in a local church setting. And it's interesting that Paul almost always starts out the first half of his letters presenting the gospel of grace, talking about what, how, how much God loves us, what Christ has done for us, how he has died for us, how he has wrapped us up in himself and taken us to the cross and and, and how he's died not only for us, but with us, and we've died with him, and we've been raised to live a new life in the Spirit. And so we get this wonderful gospel, and it's very clear that what Jesus has done for us has settled the sin issue once and for all. And so he talks about the, what we call the gospel of grace for the first half of almost every one of his letters to churches. But then he begins to talk about how to live out life with those that we are in relationship with in local churches. And uh, he, he's, very, um, he's, he's very, um, you know, specific about how we should live with one another. Rick Warren, who's a pastor at Saddleback, says that, um, I I just want to tell you how he talks about being a part of a local church. First of all, Rick Warren, um, pastor at Saddleback out in California, um, in his class 101, he says, he starts out by saying this, God wants you to be a part of a local church, because being a part of a local church is like playing in the NBA. 
You cannot play basketball in the NBA unless you commit to a specific team. You can't just go play basketball. You cannot go to the armed services and, and just serve your country by fighting in wars and stuff without being a part of a specific branch of the military and without being a part of a specific company or a platoon or whatever. You have to be a part of that. And in those situations, in the NBA, in the NFL, in a branch of the service, in a particular company, you have your part to play in that, on that team or in that group. Everyone has a part to play. It's the same in the body of Christ. And, and so God calls us into his family and into a family. Okay. And so in this series on living in his body, we're really, Dennis and I are really emphasizing three main things. Commitment to connection with and service in the body of Christ in a local church. Now, Notice I didn't say this local church. I want to tell you, you're here for a reason this morning. You're sitting in your chair. If you look, you're sitting in your chair. No one else is sitting in your chair this morning. You're sitting in your chair. And you are here for a reason. I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe that you're just here by happenstance. For some reason, God brought you here this morning on a holiday weekend to be, be in this church service. And I think part of it is to hear this message. Now, I've been here 35 years, and um, the first day I walked in this church, I felt like I'd come home. I'd never been here before, but I walked in and I felt at home. And I've had dozens of people in the last four years tell me that. By the way, this church is, for all intents and purposes, a church plant. It's a new church because we died in 2016, and we stayed dead for about three years. And um, when we called Wes to come back here to be our, uh, at the time, our worship leader, now he's executive pastor, but when we called him, the first morning he was here, there were 52 people in the sanctuary. We only had 100 chairs in here, and if you subtract Wes laying on the floor in the sound room and me preaching, there were exactly half the chairs in the hundred chairs that we had were filled. Fifty people. In the month of August, I think we've averaged 215. In the month of August, in the dead of summer. Yeah. So that was four years ago, just about exactly four years ago, because Wes came mid-August 2019. Four years later, uh, you know, it's, it's early September 2023. So, so God has raised this church from the dead. <laughs> this church has been resurrected. So I consider it a church plant. And God has brought us so many wonderful people. When I look out across this group, I see so many incredible people. And, and I see a lot of new faces this morning. I mean, a lot of new faces. This is a holiday weekend, so... You know, usually we don't have a lot of people on a holiday weekend. We, this place is pretty full for a Labor Day. But, but, you know, I just love what God is doing. And, and what, I've, what I've come to realize is he's assembling an army for the last days. And I'm not kidding you. I, I've, as, as I say that, I feel the spirit rising up in me. This is an army he's putting together. 
And I don't know what we're going to go through, but I feel good about it. I feel like we're, we're headed somewhere. I never want to be a part, I, I never want to be on a bus that's just sitting someplace. I want to I be moving, I want to be heading someplace. And, and I believe with all my heart that since, um, since that morning in 2019, where we had 52 people, this, this bus is heading someplace. And, and God keeps adding people to the bus. I love that. So you're here for a reason. But let me say this. I don't know that every single person here is supposed to be a part of this church body. But you are supposed to be part of a church body somewhere and, and serving there. So, so this, is my, this is my goal for my message, that you would make a commitment to a church body, this body or some other body. But seek the Lord and ask him, where am I supposed to be? We were in prayer this week, and, and Jane, Jane Ratliff said, um, God told me that his phone number is Jeremiah 33.3. <laughs> Jeremiah 33.3 says this, Call to me and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. And so if you need to know where you're supposed to be, then call on the Lord and he will tell you. He will show you where you're supposed to be. If it's here, wonderful. We welcome you. If it's not, get out of here. What are you doing here? I never will forget. We opened up after COVID, and we, we opened early. I mean, we, as soon as you know, Governor DeWine said you can reopen, we reopened because we had plenty of room to social distance. You know, We could put people over here, and they weren't close to people over here. And you know, we put two chairs, four chairs, six chairs in groups, you know, and, and it was really weird. But, but you know... Over the summer of COVID, when we opened in like mid-May, we grew the entire summer. We filled up those 100 chairs. We started having to bring the chairs out of the closets and put them back. And the second Sunday that this happened, people were coming here because we were open and their church wasn't. And I said, when your church opens, go home. And Wes got really mad at me. (laughs) Dad, don't ever say that again. So as a good father, I... I listened to my son. I haven't said that until this morning. But if you're not supposed to be here, don't come back. Okay. I'm kidding. But pray, 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 and ask the Lord, what church body am I supposed to be a part of to give myself to, to commit to, to connect with, and to serve in? Because it's super important that you do that. It's the way you connect with life. Now, I want to make a statement this morning that um, is hard to hear, but it's true. Commitment is hard and scary, and it rules out <clears throat> other options. Do you hear me? But it pays big dividends. I'll give you an example of this. <laughs> I... I was in my mom's Sunday school class when I was like a sophomore in high school, and um, I don't even know what we're talking about, but I had this realization that I kind of liked for all the wrong reasons. I was sitting there in the 10th grade in the Sunday school class, and I suddenly realized that every door that I was going to have to walk through, 
that would send me down a particular chute was still unopened. My options were completely open in every direction. Where I was going to go to college, who I was going to marry, what job career I was going to pursue, you know, all all these these doors, like on, you know, let's make a deal, were still closed, but, but, but everything was was wide open at the same time. I hadn't committed anything yet. I was in high school and, you know, because I had to be, (laughs) but I was going to graduate eventually and then it would all be open again, see? And so somehow that was really comforting to me. I haven't had to commit to anything yet. And I kind of like that. Unfortunately, when it came time to get married, I had to walk through a door. I had to commit to a shoot. In marrying one person, that ruled out every other single woman, you know, in, in my, you know, realm of influence. <laughs> I know that broke a lot of hearts. <laughs> Just kidding. But I was engaged twice before um, I met Deb. And the closer it got to the wedding date, the colder my feet got, and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I could not commit. And so, uh, you know, Deb and I met in December of 1990. I proposed to her in March of 1991, and by July of 1991, I was trying to figure out how to break up with this girl. <laughs> I know you women are going to hate me for this. She, was, um, she left for uh, Culver, Indiana to be a camp, direct, or a camp counselor at a girls' camp uh, in, in Culver, Indiana um, to, to make money to pay for our wedding pictures, and I'm trying to break up with her. Yeah, I know. That's, that's bad. Don't throw anything yet. It gets better. So, so <laughs> late July, uh, you know, she's been there... Uh, a few weeks, and, and I am absolutely convinced that i got to get out of this thing, simply because I, I, was, I was just freaking out. I couldn't commit, you know. And um, so she, she's been praying. Uh, she called me, and uh, I'm like, this is my opportunity to get this thing over with, shoot the dog, whatever, and, and so I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, to, yeah, a horse or, you know, everything. Not her, I'm just talking about, you know, just get this over with, okay? I'm not calling my wife a dog or a horse, okay? She was wonderful. I just was an idiot. So that's the, you know, punchline. But she, she, God had led her to say this, and it was the thing that saved our relationship. She said, would you, before, she said, I know we were about to break up. She said, you know, I, I'm pretty intuitive. I can tell you're on your way out. Would you do me one favor? Would you... And, and I was in hostage negotiation at this point. And I was the hostage. And I was negotiating, you know. I said, yeah, I'll do anything. What, what do you want me to do? She said, would you see the counselor I saw when my parents split up when she was, you know, right, right after she graduated from high school. Her parents split up. And, and she, she saw this counselor, really wonderful Christian counselor in, in, in Columbus. And so, you know, I would do anything at that point. To, you know, I was like, yeah, 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 I'll go see. So she had already called him, and she, she made the arrangements, and she said, you know, so here's his number. Would you give him a call? His name is Steve Judah, and then go see him, and, uh, and then if you still 
feel like you want to break up, then, you know, I'll accept that. I'm like, fine, I'll go. <laughs> so I drive to Columbus. I go in this man's office. He's super nice, like really soft-spoken, uh, very polite, you know, just, you know, it's really suckered me in. And, and so I... Uh, you know, he's asking me questions. I'm opening up. I'm talking about, you know, I understand you've been, you know, engaged before. Yeah, I've been engaged before. And yeah, blah, blah, blah. And so he hears me out and he says this. He says, Mr. Haney, can I be honest with you? I said, well, that's why I paid you the, you know, $75 or whatever it was back in 30 years ago. I said, sure. He said, um, you have what I call commitment anxiety. He said, you just... He said, here's the deal. <clears throat> if you're, you're 33 years old. I was like, yep. He said, if you were 23, the endorphins in your brain from falling in love would still have you kind of goofy. You know, you understand what I'm saying? When you fall in love, what happens is these endorphins go off in your brain and you become semi-brain damaged for several months. <laughs> and usually if you're young enough... You stay brain damaged through the wedding, and then about six months into this, you wake up and realize, what have I done? Who is this person that I've committed my life to till death us do part? You realize you've married a human being, not an angel. And as Florence Littower used to say, you marry a person's strengths and go home to live with their weaknesses. He said... Mr. Haney, you're 33, not 23. Your endorphins only get messed up for about three months. You come to your senses, and then you begin to pick apart the person that you're in relationship with. He said, let me be honest with you. He said, I know Deborah Fenneman. She's one of the finest young women I've ever met. He said, do me a favor and every other single woman that you're in connection with. Either marry her or don't get married because you're going to go through this over and over and over again and don't do that to people. Make a commitment to either be married or to stay single. But you're in a fork in the road and you need to do one or the other. Now, if you decide to get married, she's a wonderful young woman and you'll be better off. There's nothing... Well, anyway, let me just say this. It is... Not good for man to be alone. <laughs> and so, and so commit, commitment in marriage is good, but it's a commitment. If you're 22, if you're 32, if you're 62, when you walk that aisle and, and you say those vows and you say, till death us do part, you've ruled out every other option and you've made a commitment to love this person come hell or high water. That's another way of saying for better or for worse. Rich or poor, in sickness and in health, or in health. And so we will be married 32 years this coming October. So in about a month and a half, thank you. All applause goes to my wonderful wife for putting up with me that long. We've been married 32 years. We have had 30 wonderful years of marriage. That first two years, man. You know, there were times I literally prayed, Lord, either kill her or me, but I can't do this. <laughs> I was so selfish. I had no idea how selfish I was until we got into that. 
But you see, commitment, commitment is hard because it means that you rule out a lot of other stuff. Guys, I'm going to say the same thing to you that Steve Judah said to me. Find a local body. Get in there. Commit to it. For better or worse, <laughs> you know, and, and, and just, you know, I learned this from my, my precious friends, Tom and Rita Nepper. They said being a part of a church is very much like being married. You don't just leave because something, you know, you don't like happens. You commit, you commit, and you write it out. Commitment is hard because, because it means giving up other things. It means selling out. <laughs> I, I uh, heard a story, um, this pastor who became a, like a college president, I heard him speak one time and he said, you know, when I get on airplanes, I... Uh, I'm an evangelist at heart, and he said, I, I really enjoy talking to the person in the seat next to me, and I, and I really try to find out if they're a believer, and if they're not, I tried to, you know, I, I, I work my way towards leading them to Christ. And he said, uh, I was talking to this fellow one time, and, uh, you know, we'd, just, we'd been talking for about a half hour or so, and he said, I finally just kind of popped the question. He said, sir, are, are you a Christian? He said, well... Um, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, but not the whole hog kind. <laughs> not the whole hog kind. You, you understand what he's saying there? Yeah, I, I'm not all in. I, I go by that title, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not all the way in. Because getting all the way in means sacrifice. It means giving up things. It means... Living here below the saints I know is often difficult. Um, I want to go back as, as my text, and I want to read um, from Ephesians 4 again, because as I said, you know, Paul in Ephesians has talked about how much God loves us, how he sent Christ to die for us, how we've been adopted into his family, how when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, God made us alive and in Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places and he's made his church a masterpiece and he's brought the Jewish believers and Gentile believers together to become the church, to become one. And he says, therefore, in chapter four, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. How do you do that? Well, here it is. Be completely humble. I was talking to I met with um, Lyndon Good. Many of you know Lyndon. He pastored Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship for 40 years and then stepped down, and he felt like he needed to give the new pastor some room, so he ended up here. And uh, he's been here since then, a couple of years now. And uh, Lyndon and I have, have uh, coffee together every month or so. And I was talking to him um, a week ago Friday, and he said, Neil, when you read that scripture in Ephesians a couple weeks ago, or last week, he said, and it says, be completely humble. <laughs> he said, I wanted to say, Paul, what are you thinking? Who has ever been completely humble? But isn't that the goal? To be completely humble, to be completely gentle and patient, 
bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. I said then and I'll say now, Paul put that in there because we're not always easy to live with. We have to bear with one another. But I want to point out something. There are two one another phrases in this scripture. And I really want to zero in on that this morning because there are around 50 one another phrases in the New Testament. Over half of them are from Paul's writings. And it has to do with the church and and how we're to relate to each other. And the only way that you can one another one another, whether it's love one another, forgive one another, pray for one another, bear with one another, is to be around one another. And if you're around one another long enough, you're going to have conflicts. You're going to get your feelings hurt. If you've been around church more than a year and hadn't gotten your feelings hurt by another church person, then that's a rare thing, trust me. It takes a commitment to be together. It takes a commitment to love. It takes a commitment to, to, to um, serve and to bless and to encourage and to pray for one another. It takes a commitment. And I said before, I made the statement that making a commitment is difficult. No one knows that more than I do with commitment anxiety. Commitment, commitments, it's difficult because you have to eliminate a lot of other stuff. However, the thing about commitment is when you make a commitment to the right thing, to the right person, to the right church, and you stick with it, it may be tough at first, but it pays big dividends. I got two wonderful children because I stuck with Deb. I thank God that God didn't kill her or me. And I'm not kidding. I prayed that. I really prayed that. I was serious, man. Things got so tough at times that I just wanted to die or I wanted her to die. But God was gracious, and I love my wife. I love her to the moon and back. She is absolutely wonderful. I was terrified of the empty nest. I didn't know what life was going to be like on the other side of our kids being gone. And it was, it's been absolutely wonderful. Now, we love having Lindsay back, but we know that's not permanent. But I'm not afraid anymore. I love my wife. I enjoy being with her. And like I said, it's been 30 wonderful years. But, but the commitment I made to her has paid huge dividends in all kinds of ways. And, and the commitment I made to this church 35 years ago when I said yes to being associate pastor here. I mean, this has been a great life. This has been a wonderful church. And, and I'm so thankful that I've stayed around through the good, bad, and ugly as, as Dennis prayed for when he prayed for me. I'm so thankful I've stuck around because I've seen this place. Well, I've seen, I've seen you love me and my family for one thing. And I have, I have people in this church that are closer than my own blood kin, honestly. My, my family lives almost 800 miles away and has for almost my entire time I've been in Springfield. But I have so many brothers and sisters, moms and dads, and, and kids in, in this body. 
And I'm so thankful I've stuck around to see this. I'm looking at Lynette Reed right here. I met her uh, around the same time as the first time I ever visited this church in September of 87. And um, she's, she's as much my sister as my sister Amy. Love her just as much. Feel just as close to her. And I can say that about a lot of you. But, you know, commitment's hard, but it's worth it. And I really believe that God wants us to commit to one another. And then he gives us gifts to use to bless each other. So I'm going to read this. Speaking the truth in love. Let, let's, let me start back here. So Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we, we reach maturity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, listen to this here, from him the whole body joined and held together, joined and held together, joined and held together, that's commitment, by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Guys, I watched um, Ohio State play yesterday. Yeah, I'd, I'd be laughing too if I were you. That was rough. But here's the thing. You have 22 starters. You have twice as many backups. You have coaches. You have assistant coaches. Uh, you have uh, guys on the sideline, guys in the booth. Uh, you have cheerleaders. Uh, you have water boys, you know, and girls. Uh, you know, they walk around squirting water bottles in people's mouths and stuff like that. But everyone is a part of that team. Now, yesterday, if you're not a football person, then just you know, go to sleep and wake up when I'm done. Yesterday, the biggest problem that Ohio State had was their offensive line because they're new. Most of them went to the NFL last year, so now they got a bunch of newbies guarding the quarterback and, and opening holes for the running back. They didn't do that very well yesterday. And so this team that's supposed to be to have the best running back, second best running back core in the country and the best receiving core score 23 points against a team that's not considered to be very good. 23 points, that's all we could muster. Because the O-line was inexperienced and, and really didn't do their part well. Now, I've likened the church to, you know, a team. If you don't do your part in whatever church you commit to, Dennis talked about service last week, then things don't function very well. So when you commit, you're also committing to do your part. And doing your part means using your gifts that God has given you, giving money to the church to support the ministry of the church, to pay the salaries of the pastors, to keep the lights on, the air conditioner running, the heater in the winter, ministries going. Because we're a nonprofit organization and we don't make money any other way than your gift. And so you need to, that's part of commitment, is you pray and say, Lord, 
what would you have me give to this church? And Deb and I have always given 10% of our gross income, not because it's a law that, you know, if I don't tithe, I'm under a curse or something. But, but first fruits is a principle. And so we took that principle very seriously, and we've always given to the church itself 10% of our gross income, and then we give to missions, we give to things like World Vision, whatever, but, but we are committed to this body to give our first fruits. That's part of commitment. And I think every person should do that. And so, you know, you're not bound to the tithe, okay? We don't teach that in our church. But just pray and say, Lord, what would you have me give? Because that's part of your commitment here or wherever you're called. Called to service is each one does his part. So he says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. I want to I end this morning telling a, a story about two people in the Bible, um, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, in the Gospel of John in particular. John is the only one who introduces a man named Nicodemus. He's only mentioned three times in, in, in the Gospels, and they're all in John. One's in John 3, where he comes to Jesus. He's a Pharisee now. He's one of the bad guys. But he comes to Jesus at night when no one sees him, and so he sneaks in, and he says, hey, I want to talk to you. And he says, I recognize that you are from God because no one can do the things you do or say the things you say if you weren't from God. And Jesus says, basically, you don't know the half of it. And so he begins to teach Nicodemus about who he is. But he says this, you are the teacher in Israel, and you don't know thus and so. When he says that, he's saying that you are the most influential, best, and most listened to teacher in Israel at this point in time. He was the teacher of teachers. This teacher of teachers is not mentioned again until chapter 7 when the Pharisees are saying that Jesus is a heretic and Nicodemus steps up to defend him and they shout him down. That's the last time you hear Nicodemus until Jesus is dead. They're taking his body off the cross and he comes with Joseph of Arimathea, another teacher of the law, takes Jesus' body and, and basically Nicodemus brings the spices to prepare his body for burial. That's the last time you hear of Nicodemus, the teacher in Israel. The other guy is Peter. He is a nobody. He's not the teacher of anything. He's a fisherman up in Galilee. He's been passed over by the rabbinical uh, guys that go around picking the best students to go down and, and make, you know, become Pharisees, learn the law and all that. Peter gets passed over. He's a reject. And so he's, he's doing fishing by trade. And when Jesus comes and calls him, he leaves his net and follows Jesus. There's a scene in The Chosen where Jesus is about to take his disciples and, and leave uh, Capernaum, I believe it is, and head out to, he's going to Jerusalem, but he's going through Samaria. And there's this scene, and it's so powerful. 
Nicodemus has met with Jesus, and Jesus invites him to follow him. And so the next morning, he's taken off. And Nicodemus is standing just around the corner from where the guys are gathering to get ready to leave. And he's standing there, and he's watching. He's peeking around the corner, and he's seeing these guys gather to get ready to follow Jesus. And he just falls back against the wall and begins to weep because he just can't make the commitment to follow Jesus. It's a powerful scene. And you feel that desire that he has to go. But his wife and his life just won't let him make that commitment. And guys, I'm, I'm asking you this morning. So Peter left. He left. And it was hard to follow Jesus. There were times that he didn't, he, he wanted to, you know, at one point Jesus says, you want to leave me too? He goes, Lord, where would we go? Yeah, you're not making any sense. You just said that in order to follow you, we need to be cannibals. <laughs> you know, eat my body, drink my blood, or you have no part of me. And, and, and no one understands it. Everybody leaves him. The 12 still standing there like in shock. And he says, do you guys want to leave me too? And Peter speaks up and says, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. He saw the same thing in Jesus that Nicodemus saw, but Nicodemus couldn't make the commitment. Peter did. That's why Peter is the one at Pentecost that stands up and preaches the gospel and 3,000 people come to Christ. Like I said, it's tough to commit at first, but it's worth the commitment. So guys, my challenge to you this morning, and then worship team is here. We're going to worship. My challenge to you this morning is, where are you going to commit? What local body are you going to commit to? Are, do you feel called here? Do you feel like this is your home? Then I'm going to say what Steve Judah said to me. Make a commitment. If it's not here, then find where God is leading you. Call on him, and he will answer you, and he will lead you where you need to go. But go somewhere, put down roots, commit yourself to it, and you'll be the better for it, okay? Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you received a fresh revelation of the gospel of grace and that you experience the goodness of God in your everyday life. For more content like this or to stream our services live, visit thebridgespringfield.com. Have an awesome week.